Welcome to episode 165 of the G2 on 5G. It's our latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me for a second time this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic, and I want to talk about John Deere. And they've announced plans to deploy a private 5G network in uh, their factory in Brazil. So this was a story, I was, uh, I believe it was a Mobile World Live story, but actually I met with Jason Wallen, he's the principal architect of infrastructure and operations at John Deere. I met him at Mobile World Congress on, on my last day there, and we spent about 30 months talking about what, what they're doing here. Um, they've deployed LTE and many other manufacturing facilities uh, that produce those famous green and yellow combines and tractors and, and my riding lawnmower, I actually bought a, a riding lawnmower, my first, well, it's a John Deere. And um, I think Jason was happy when I mentioned that, but um, what they're doing is factory automation, industry 4.0, whatever you want to call it. And, and Brazil is going to be um, a test bed. And if you're not familiar with Brazil, it's a country that's typically been very protectionist. They impose a lot of tariffs if you bring finished goods into that country. And so obviously John Deere is manufacturing in country to avoid all of that. And they're going to lean heavily into private 5G to, to automate those capabilities. We, we talked about a number of different use cases involving computer vision and, and using smart cameras to inspect welds and they can actually use sonic tests as well, which I didn't know to test the weld. As metal is being welded, the style that's emitted can indicate whether the weld is going to hold or not long-term. But I think, again, it, it really showcases what I believe to be for private 5G, the killer application, which is manufacturing automation. And I'll mention that I may not be able to get them to sponsor a visit for me to Brazil. But I do next year plan to travel to some of their facilities to see what they're doing. We also talked about autonomy for its larger equipment. To date, they've used GPS to do that, but they are looking at cellular connectivity, LTE, and eventually 5G to do that. But one of the challenges, obviously, is that when you think about it, many large ranching and farming operations are in rural parts of the United States. And then the same could be said uh, in other parts of the world as well where you're not going to have the same density of subscribers and you're not going to have the right cell towers. Who knows? Maybe you're going to talk, you know, a little bit about AST Space Mobile. I typically do, but leveraging terrestrial spectrum and, and public networks and satellite could, could also tie things together. But I don't know if you caught this news, but any thoughts? I did not catch this news. However, I have a topic I chose not to include for today's series of topics does relate to this and that's that malaysia's public oil company is also deploying a 5g network in malaysia i think i wrote this paper two weeks ago and more and more big enormous enterprises multinational enterprises are adopting private 5g networks to enable either rapid manufacturing or disaggregated communications yeah proof telemetry there's so many different things. Last week, we talked about the, the Ryder Cup. It just seems like private 5G is really taking off in a lot of ways. Yeah. And the problem is that it's so invisible to people that they're not even aware that it's a thing, which is a blessing and a curse because it's a blessing that it works so well that it's invisible, but it's a curse because it's invisible. 
Um, yeah. I think it's really important for people like you and I to publicly communicate all these different 5G private networks that are yeah. enabling new use cases that otherwise just wouldn't exist. Yeah, what's really great about private deployments is that there's no sta- non-standalone. So you can deploy 5G core and, and 5G RAM and really realize the true promise of, of 5G. And I think on prior podcasts, I've spoken to you the fact that private cellular in general hasn't seen the adoption curve to match the hype around 5G in general. And, and I have speculated in the past that was based on multiple paths to market and, and that sort of thing as a service, as a total solution. But I really believe as the public mobile network operators, they begin to deploy standalone more aggressively on public networks. That I think is going to also drive momentum and interest in, in private as well. There'll be that kind of that carryover. Um, because truly at the end of the day, standalone unlocks a pre, the true promise of 5G. You can't get to network pricing. You and I have talked about that on multiple podcasts without standalone. And so I think it's great. And, and I think on other podcasts, I've also mentioned the fact that I do believe that 2024 is really going to be the year for private 5G. And I think there's a huge install base of, of LTE for many use cases and applications. The advanced will do the job, but really where CNN, uh 5G will shine will be with that ultra low latency for very tactile control of robotics and, you know, in automation through manufacturing facilities. And I'll also mention transportation and logistics for things in motion, 5G's um, superpowers are really mate and match well with those use cases. But let's move to your first topic. And typically I'm the one talking about AST Space Mobile, but um, I did catch this news that there, there was an article in Gizmodo and there was some other, some other writing around this, but uh, I think concerns around uh, AST Space Mobile's Blue Walker 3 satellite that's currently um, in the air and in that there's concern that it might be shining too brightly. Yeah, so I tracked down what the source of all these stories was because I was curious. Uh, I first saw that this object in the bright in the sky is the brightest object you might see in the night sky or blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay. With your naked eye too, not yeah. through So like, I was like, okay, I'm going to go and look into this deeper. And then I realized it was EST Space Mobile's Blue Walker 3. And then I like dug deeper and found that um, there's an article in the journal Nature, um, which is a um, scientific journal. Um, and it, it references a study by different astronomers and specifically, I think it quotes some astronomers who found that it outshines 99% of the stars visible from a dark location on earth. Yeah. Uh, And that story is essentially a, it's a publication that's in the, the journal nature. And it talks about the high optical brightness of Blue Walker 3. So it's a explicit yeah. call out of the AST Space Mobile Satellite, talking about how large constellations of LEO pose significant challenges to ground-based astronomy. So this is like a uh, battleground between astronomers and people looking to increase cellular coverage around the world. They specifically call Blue Walker 3, saying that it's a phased attendant array, with a launch vehicle adapter and the peak brightness of the satellite reaching an apparent magnitude of 0.4, which I don't know what that actually means. And that this new satellite is one of the brightest objects in the night sky. And that the LVA, which is the large vehicle adapter, reaching apparent V magnitude, V band magnitude of 5.5, four times brighter 
than the current international astronom astronomical unit recommendation of magnitude. Clearly, they are unhappy with how bright this is. And there's a pretty strong community in support of AST Space Mobile and its Blue Walker 3. Uh, but it will be interesting to see how the industry works with astronomers because I think there have been similar concerns around Starlink and how it affects people's ability to see the night sky. And I think these issues will only continue to grow as more uh, constellations go up, which we'll be talking about later uh, in my third topic, because Amazon is starting to launch its low Earth orbit satellite. So yeah, we're going to be having more objects in the sky. Uh, this article also talks about space debris and breakaway debris and how that might be a concern as well. The interesting thing is that AST Space Mobile already responded to this Nature article inside the Nature article itself and said that they're working with NASA and astronomy groups to address these concerns. And then and even the, art, the, the article in Nature talks about SpaceX and, and its space satellites and how it surprised astronomers then. I think there's still room for conversation and things like that, but I will say that AST Space Mobile satellite is probably one of the largest objects in the sky. Um, yeah. And maybe there's going to be some kind of coatings that they apply to future satellites uh, to reduce the brightness of the satellite in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read that as well. And I guess one of, one of the challenges is that when Blue Walker 3's antenna array is fully deployed, it is considerably larger than anything that, that Starlink or, or Amazon is planning to, to, to put in the sky. I read the Gizmeta article. It was a clickbait headline and, and I tweeted something out on that. But AST Space Mobile, their plans, once they go into production, you have to understand Blue Walker 3 is a prototype. When they go into production, their plan is to have about 100 satellites in the air. Now, that compares to tens of thousands that are planned that Elon Musk is planning to launch with Starlink. And then, and then we're going we're gonna to save uh, Project Coupier for your final topic. We'll talk about Amazon as well. But space debris is going to have to be something that the Space Force, the Space you know, Agency, that division of the FCC that has been set up, they're going to have to focus on the oversight. You know, by the way, I read some news this week that, that there were some current concerns with DISH and, and clutter and satellites burning up on reentry. And Starlink's even admitted that they've lost satellites they can't account for that probably burned up in the atmosphere. As this low Earth orbit space race continues to, to heat up, there is going to have to be oversight and, and, and regulation. But at the end of the day, the ability to use satellite communications to help bridge the digital divide. I think far outweighs how many objects we put in the sky, but we just have to be good now space citizens and manage those and ensure safety and, and observation as well. That's an incredible um, area of research that continues with these uh, long range telescopes and that sort of thing. But let's move to my uh, second topic. And I want to talk about Nokia and they're adding some new solutions to its private 5G as a service portfolio. And I've spoken with about Nokia on numerous podcasts and they were really the first traditional infrastructure provider to really aggressively embrace private networking. And so they're extending that in, into as a service. And, and what I like about it is that they're creating a solution for smaller enterprises because oftentimes what Nokia delivers 
is very carrier gray and it's very, it's multi-segmented and that sort of thing for, for very sophisticated use cases. What they're doing is they're taking their digital automation cloud solution and they're doing a more, what they call a more compact version of that for these smaller deployments. It's going to leverage no surprise CDRS spectrum and, and they're uh, partnering with companies like DXC technology, future technologies, uh, Gray Bar and Trilogy Next Generation to do this. I like the fact that they're uh, flying an ecosystem approach. And certainly those integrators, those companies that I mentioned have a pretty decent footprint within the IT distribution channel. And so that's going to be key to making this all successful is Nokia can't for, for smaller organizations, the, the volume of those deployments are going to go up. There's no way that Nokia could do that on a direct basis. And so I. I really like the fact that they're going to leverage an ecosystem of integrators and partners uh, to go do this. So I don't know if you caught the news, but you know, any thoughts or comments? I did catch the news, but I don't really have any specific thoughts because it just feels like an expansion of their portfolio Yeah, and just adding more services to, to address market demands. But yeah, yeah, nothing really earth shattering there for me. Yeah, that's cool. I think for that, for Nokia. It's just going to provide scale and more and more revenue opportunity upside for them. So that's my my kind of top level take on it. But let's go to your second topic. And you want to talk about AT&T and a 5G smart helmet. What is that all about? Yeah, AT&T worked with Galloday. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. Galloday University, it's actually a private university for the deaf and blind. And they worked with them to develop a 5G connected football helmet that allows for on-field communications with student athletes and essentially allows them to communicate through ASL and, and be able to get commands from their coaches through their helmet. And they said that this helmet will actually be used this weekend in a game against Hilbert College. That's really exciting because it improves access to more people using 5G. And this university has been in, in place since 1894. So they're really like, a, they have a long history of, of working to improve inclusiveness. And on top of that, the quarterback will be wearing a helmet, will receive the plays in augmented reality on a digital display uh, located within the visor. So it's like an actual HMD yeah. uh, helmet. Wow. And then uh, on top of all that, AT&T will be donating new helmets to the university for the team. So all the players get new helmets, plus they're donating $500,000 to the school's football program. So this is a really cool story where AT&T is helping with 5G and augmented reality to yeah. improve communication between quarterback and the coach, um, probably the offensive coordinator, realistically. But yeah, they're talking about how it eliminates a gap for deaf and hard of hearing athletes to be able to play football. And maybe one day we'll have a, a star quarterback in the NFL who's deaf get all his plays through the OC sending him to a display in his headset because realistically quarterbacks are not really about hearing they're more about sight right and right. seeing play that's going on around them yeah part of their job is to tune out the crowd right it would be really interesting to see how this helps players progress and increase access and maybe this ends up even helping players who will have hearing but maybe can't hear anything during the game and, and would be able to get plays clearly communicated to them through a headset. I'm not sure how long it'll take for this to, to waterfall up to the NFL, but there's a possibility this could this technology is possible. And this is an extension of 
a lot of the cool things that AT&T is already doing to improve access and inclusivity. I yeah. recently discovered that AT&T powers the city of San Diego's library program where they hand out hotspots that you can check out. Yeah. And they, they offer it as a service and it's powered by AT&T and AT&T branded hotspots. This is just a cool um, thing for AT&T to be doing and, and investing in and, and, and working with the community. I agree. And it's really exciting to see uh, an application that's leveraging 5G to provide inclusivity, like you were mentioning. And today, the NFL is already leveraging 5G for on-field communication. So this extends that capability even further. And I'm glad you touched on some of the, the initiatives that AT&T is focused on, like with San Diego. And I've spent time with the management team in Dallas, and I learned earlier this year that they are, they're making investments through nonprofits to focus on bridging the digital divide. There's lots of funding out there that I've talked about in prior podcasts, but also focusing on digital literacy as well, putting the devices in the hands of people that need them because it's so much of it is chicken and egg and it's an impoverished area, a region, underserved community. You need more than just deploying the infrastructure. You've got to provide the devices as well. You have to prime the pump there. TNT is doing a lot of great things there. And uh, yeah, I, kudos to them for taking what's already being deployed in the NFL and then taking that down in the collegiate ranks and really allowing student athletes that have disabilities, vision and hearing disabilities to participate. Because that's so huge for the college experience. My youngest just graduated from college and uh, she was very you know involved in extracurriculars. And that's that was really important as she was looking um, for her first job, that she could demonstrate that she had those extracurriculars. So I think it's great. But let's go to my third and final topic. I'm going to hit this really quickly, but I want to talk about Reliance in India. And recently, they've taken out uh, a couple of credit facilities that are quite large. This week, there was an announcement that they had secured a $2 billion credit facility. And that falls on the heels of another $2 billion credit facility. That was established several, several weeks ago. And this is all basically to focus on deploying infrastructure, borrowing money so that they can get the 5G hardware deployed. I think $4 billion, that's a lot of money. But in the United States, the, the public network operators have gone on record stating that the deployments, just hardware alone, not even Spectrum are north of 20 billion US dollars. And so you think of India, India is a huge market. They have a huge population they have to cover. Four billion is a lot of money, but in the big scheme of things, relatively small compared to those numbers that I just shared. But you also have to remember too, that Reliance has demonstrated um, that they lean very heavily into disaggregated infrastructure, open RAN, like uh, core network solutions that leverage common off-the-shelf servers, with software from companies like Athenat and Druid and that sort of thing. I think it's interesting, but it, it continues to point to Reliance as being very dedicated to that market and, and deploying their next generation network. So what do you think before we move to your third and final topic? I think it's interesting because yeah. we know they have the cash. So they're clearly choosing to take credit where they can. And that's probably because they're doing all a lot of other things and they probably want to have as much capital as possible available to them to build out their network because they're not done building up the network. They're still right. deploying that. So I think in their situation, they want to have as much capital available to them as possible. 
and big component of that is taking out credit facilities like this one. I'm excited to see what the final geo network will look like. I, I truly believe that they will probably be one of the world leaders in deploying 5G completely and enabling both private and public applications of, of, of 5G that are considered to be next generation. And I think that Geo has clearly had a plan in place and they're executing on it now. Yeah. I'm hoping to see the fruits of that probably next year. But yeah, they're very aggressive and I think they've made up a lot of time, not to their own fault, really. I think a lot of that comes down to the Indian government's drum option. They were delayed. Remember we talked about that. They were really late. So I think Geo has planned accordingly and they seem to be executing very aggressively. And I hope to see those fruits this year. And I think we're already starting to see a lot of momentum moving in their direction with all the things that are happening in China and with the slowdown and and the restrictions. I think India will become the new market of choice for growth in 5G. Yeah, no, I agree. And Reliance has just demonstrated that they're very disruptive. So they're coming in, they're making these investments and they are delivering, I, I think, extreme value relative to some of the traditional incumbents like Bartiertal and others. But let's move to your third and final topic, and you're going to double down on Leo. And um, I've been following Amazon's uh, designs here, and you want to talk about where they're headed and uh, their plans around launching two prototype Leo satellites. Yeah, so Amazon has has their Kuiper. I actually don't know how to pronounce it correctly. Kuiper, Kuiper, yeah, I mispronounced it earlier too. And <laughs> it's their low Earth orbit satellite system, which will eventually be made up of thirty-two hundred, actually thirty-three thousand two hundred thirty-six satellites, um, yeah, full constellation, and they will be launching the first two satellites today at around two p.m. Eastern time, very soon. Hopefully, we'll get this out before they launch. Yeah, uh, but basically, it's their first two satellites that are going to be their test satellites. They expect these ones to help them figure out a lot of the next phase, which will be next year. Well, they'll be launching two two big volleys satellites that will help them build their beta network, and they will be spreading their launches across Ariane, New Origin, and ULA. ULA, I believe, is the one who's delivering these first two satellites. Um, yeah. The first half of next year, they'll be launching enough satellites to actually launch a beta service at the end of next year. So they're saying that it will take an, a total of six more years to actually fully launch its constellation, which means that by mid-2029, they will actually be ready with a complete a constellation. And that's why they obviously have to split across three different launch partners. But as you'll notice, there is no mention of SpaceX. No. So they are not using SpaceX to launch this service. Uh, I wouldn't think they would, man, because the Jeff's got Blue Origin, right? Sure. But yeah. there's there's only so many satellite launches available, and SpaceX has a lot of them, and they have reusable rockets. So they so does Blue Origin, but SpaceX is ahead of the, the curve in a lot of ways, and as a result yeah. of that, it's cheaper to launch with them as well. But they right. are competitors. I don't think they really want to work with a competitor to launch their yeah. service if they don't have to. The only other details I have here are that their LEO will be using ground stations operating at 17.8 to 18.6 gigahertz, gigahertz 
and 28.6 to 29.1 gigahertz. So those are the frequencies that they'll be using. And they're working with Vodafone on this network as well as Verizon. Verizon yeah. is a hardware for them. It'll be really interesting to see how this shakes out next year as the beta service starts to come to fruition. I assume they'll probably be covering the U.S. first and foremost yeah. uh, and expanding to global coverage later on. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So now we're going to have two, if you want to call it, fixed wireless access satellite Earth services that both, both Amazon and SpaceX Starlink want to monetize versus AST Space Mobile serving as the middleware. I'll also mention, because it's relative, I met where I've had a call recently with the CEO of Satellite OT, and that's a company that we've, we've talked about on prior podcasts. Uh, Jamie was talking about how they're very discreetly focused on narrowband IoT use cases and using satellite communication. So it's really interesting to see like all of these companies coming into the fold and, and how things are shaking out. And at the end of the day, with Amazon wanting to put two or 3,000 satellites in the air with Starlink, with AST Space Mobile, Satellite OT, there's going to be a lot of stuff flying around lower orbit, right? So it'll just, it'll be really interesting. But I, I think it's exciting. The opportunity to close the digital divide is, is huge from my perspective. But it's been another great podcast, our second this week. But why don't you take the time, Anshul? Yeah, absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to write insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech, and I'm at Anshul Sog. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune in again next week, and don't forget to rate and subscribe.